everybody. Welcome back to Firewalls Don't Stop Dragons. I'm your host, Kerry Parker, and we've got another great show for you this week. We've got some really important, uh, some security news for you that, that you've got to pay attention to, especially if you've got an Apple Macintosh computer. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about net neutrality. I'm going to tell you how to steal a Mercedes, and I'm going to tell you about just the latest incident and how corporations feel the need to store every little bit of information about you without asking. So let's start with the big news this week, at least the big news in terms of security. And that is this, it's been a bad week for Apple. Now I'm, I'm an Apple fan. I've been an, I've been using Apple products literally for decades. Um, it's always been my go-to uh, computer of choice. And, uh, you know, I, I use Windows machines. I use Linux machines um, uh, all the time. But for my personal use, I always went with Apple. And uh, their quality was usually the best that there was but something's been going on with that company lately i don't know what it is but uh they've been putting out some really really bad software lately with some really bad bugs um not sure what's going on i hope they get their act together but this week was a doozy uh apple released uh some sort of mac os which is their operating system on all their macintosh computers they released a mac os version that had a just a horrendous software bug in it uh, you probably saw something on the news about this, but uh, if you've got a Macintosh, you need to listen carefully uh, because we got to get this one fixed. Uh, it's re it's really it's about as bad as it gets. Um, as we've talked on this show before, uh, you should have on your computer both an administrator account and a non-administrator account. And this is whether you've got an Apple computer or a Windows machine, doesn't matter. Um, basically, you should be limiting what you can do on that computer because whatever you can do on that computer malware that you accidentally download can also do because it's acting as you right so whatever privileges whatever permissions you have uh, with your regular account that you use is the same permissions that uh, any kind of a malware that you accidentally download could be doing as well so for that reason you want to limit what you can do and, and this doesn't affect you on a daily basis um, and whenever you do run across something that requires higher levels of privilege it will prompt you the computer will prompt you and say hey you're not allowed to do this so give me the credentials of an administrator account that will let you do this um, and that prevents malware which would also pop have to pop up those same warnings from you saying hey wait a minute i didn't ask for that uh, uh something's going on here um so anyway uh you should have to two different accounts, at least on your computer, one for that has full administrator privileges and one that is just a regular everyday account that only has regular user privileges, non administrator privileges uh, that you use uh, most of the time on a daily basis that will actually block a lot of problems. And at least if if it doesn't, if it doesn't block the problem, it will contain the problem to with within whatever account you're using. Um, all right, so let's get past that. So Apple Macintoshes are based on a Unix operating system. Uh, if you've heard of Unix or Linux, um, these are old school computer software engineer sort of uh, operating systems. And these are the kind of operating systems that generally run on the big servers out in the cloud, out in the internet. And it's actually also the uh, it's the version of software, the, the type of operating system that usually runs on all these little gadgets in your house that are Internet of Things devices. Um, when configured properly, Unix could be a very secure system. And Apple based changed to the Unix-based system years ago, um, and gained a lot of those um, the security factors uh, along with that. 
So as part of just about any Unix system, there's what they call a root account, R-O-O-T. A root account is like the God account, the super user account. This account is, a, is the first account on every one of these Unix machines, and that account can do anything. Uh, because it's so powerful, Apple generally disables that account. It's not something that they give you the user access to. When you're creating admin or non-admin accounts, they're kind of like root accounts, but then um, the root account itself, the one that actually is part of the base operating system, is, is hidden from you. Well, this bug that came out last week somehow made it possible for users to log into this root account, the account that's normally disabled by Apple, to log into this account with no password, not a simple password. It's not like it was root root, like, you know, like ID root, password root. Um, the ID was root and the password you could leave empty. Uh, you know, if you've ever gone into like the Mac preferences and you go into certain preferences that have the little lock icon, that's when you're supposed to have to, if you have a non-admin account to open up that lock, you have to give it administrator credentials. That's part of the reason you have these admin accounts is to block um, accidental changing or malware changing some of these critical settings. Well, if you hit that lock account uh, on an Apple computer with, that's running High Sierra, now this has to be running High Sierra, I believe, the, the most recent Apple Mac OS version. Um, there's Sierra and there's High Sierra. I know, it's confusing. Um, but if you're running High Sierra and you're, and, you're, um, and you're up to date last week, you had this bug. If you went and clicked on that lock icon, that brought up a little window. It said, hey, you're not allowed to do this. Give me credentials for some account that is allowed to make these changes. And so on the, it had two fields, user ID and password. So if you're on the user ID, you put root. Uh, and on the password, you just left it blank and you could hit. Okay. If you did that two or three times in a row, it would eventually just unlock. That's horrible. That is, it's like, I don't, know, I don't even know what kind of analogy. It's like leaving the master key to an entire building on top of the front doormat, not under the doormat, like on top of the doormat. It, it doesn't take anything to find it and use it. And anybody could use it and get into and do anything they want. They have full access to anything on the computer. It's horrible. So Apple, to their great credit, released a fix for this almost immediately. Within 24 hours, Apple had a fix for this. And if you had the auto update feature turned on on your computer, which I do and you should do too, it automatically downloaded and applied this update. Whew, okay, great. Fixed, right? Well, as soon as you fix the bug, it broke Apple file sharing. Now, you know, most people probably don't use that. And, it, you know, it's not uncommon when you're rushing something out like that. It, you know, that was obviously a super, super critical fix. So they quickly threw that together and published it. But they didn't test it enough because they probably didn't have time. And it broke something else. Now, that wasn't major. And it certainly was better than the root bug. So it's good that they fixed that. Okay. A day or two later, they, up, they released another full update to macOS High Sierra. And that full update reintroduced or undid, however you want to look at it, the root fix bug. And apparently, I guess the way it was supposed to work is there was supposed to be a restart after this software update. So if you did the software update and for some reason your computer didn't restart as part of that update for the new fix or for the new uh, macOS update, then the root fix hadn't taken hold yet. It was like there, but not active or some, I don't know. It's, it's, it's messed up. So if you just restarted your computer, apparently that would fix it, but it, it's just bad. This is just not Apple's usual performance level. And I'm very disappointed. And a lot of the people are just shaking their heads. I'm not sure what's going on. Um, but, uh, you know, if you're fully up to date and, and you've got the latest High Sierra, which is 10.13.1 or 10.13.2, um, then you, know, you should be okay. But uh, just make sure that you restart your computer um, if you've gotten those recent updates, just to make sure those have taken hold. 
But uh, also at the end of the show, at the tip of the week, I will tell you how you can fix this another way where none of this other stuff will matter. Um, basically, I'll tell, you, uh, I'll tell you how to set the root password to something that should prevent this from ever happening again. So stay tuned to the tip of the week, uh, to the tip of the week at the end of the show for that. Next up on the news, uh, HP, Hewlett Packard computers, have recently been found to have installed, without your permission, without your knowledge, without your consent, well, without your direct consent, it's probably buried somewhere in that terms of service thing that you agreed to whenever you bought the computer or updated the software last, um, that tracks you, tracks all sorts of stuff about you. Um, some researchers found this. I was reading an article on Hacker News about this uh, recently, uh, as recently as November. November <clears throat> some researchers found this as recently as number, November 15th. Uh, and it's this software that HP automatically on your installs for you without asking called HP Touchpoint Analytics Client. Now, if you know what analytics are on the web, analytics is telemetry. It's information about what's going on. And this is all sorts of the kind of information that like there's a whole thing called Google Analytics. And these are these are all the little things that you do, how long you spend on a website, how long it takes you to do this, what applications you have, all this information about you that they want to know because they're building these profiles on everybody these days that's privacy has just gone out the window i don't know what's going on but it's just getting worse and worse and worse and all these corporations just i guess because there have been no negative consequences so far for this they're all just like oh well everyone else is doing it so i'm gonna do it too i have to to be competitive i'm sure is what they're saying so the official description of this software this uh, hp touchpoint analytics client from hp uh, is as follows: it quote harvests telemetry information that is used by HP Touchpoint's analytical services, unquote. So according to HP, um, they responded to this when it was brought up. They said, quote, HP Touchpoint Analytics is a service we have offered since 2014 as part of HP Support Assistant. It anonymously collects diagnostic information about hardware performance. No data is shared with HP unless access is expressly granted. Customers can opt out or uninstall the service at any time, unquote. Okay, yeah, that all sounds good. Again, that whole expressly granted thing, you know, I'm guessing there wasn't a pop-up pop thing saying, hey, HP would like to collect a lot of info about you. Do you agree? There was probably something else and something else you installed. Maybe when you first got the computer, I don't know, where you clicked agree to something and somewhere buried in all that legalese uh, was you're saying you're okay with this. But this software basically is update is uploading all sorts of stuff about you and what you what your computer does, um, without your really without your direct knowledge, and this is just becoming the way things work today, unfortunately. And uh, at least apparently with this one, you can opt out. Now the other problem with this software, uh, and maybe it's some change they made to it recently, is a lot of people are finding that their HP computers, their laptops, their desktops have been running really slowly. Uh, so something about this software was was malfunctioning, I guess, and and causing the computer to work way harder than it should be, to provide to provide all this privacy data uh, to HP that you supposedly agreed to. So what can you do about that? Um, uh, obviously, that the, they say you can uninstall it, and you can. So uh, if you go to uh, programs, uh, the programs installed on your Windows computer, uh, you should be able to find this HP Touchpoint Analytics stuff. Uh, if you find it, you can right-click it or uh, click the uninstall button, and you should be good to go. Uh, just get it off your system. It's only for them. It's not for you. Just just get rid of it. Now, have you ever seen the movie Gone in 60 Seconds? Neither did I. 
<laughs> I don't know who saw that movie. Nicolas Cage made a whole bunch of movies at some point that were just not that great. Anyway, I guess the premise of this movie is this guy is a car thief and he's apparently able to steal cars in 60 seconds. Sounds like a great Hollywood movie, right? Well, according to uh, this uh, article I found on Naked Security, which is a Sophos blog, uh, these guys have figured out, and this is not a new thing, by the way, but this actually caught these guys on camera, uh, being able to steal a Mercedes car, uh, without a key. Basically modern cars. If you, if you've got a modern car and you've got a keyless entry system, you've got that little key fob with the buttons on it. Uh, some of them, you could either unlock your car at a distance. Some of them, you can actually just walk up to your car and open the door because as long as you're close enough to the vehicle, it senses that you're close to the vehicle and that you've got a valid car key in your pocket or your purse or whatever. Uh, and it lets you open the door. And once you get in the car, it senses that that key is now inside the vehicle. Uh, and therefore, it allows you to start the car. If you've got a push button start, my car works this way. Uh, and this has been a fancy feature. It's a really kind of cool hip feature. And of course, a lot of the high-end vehicles have had this for even longer um, because it's got um, such a cool feel to it. Well, <laughs> unfortunately, because of all this wire te wireless technology, wireless, as soon as you start going wireless, all sorts of hacking opportunities open up. And while these keys are supposed to only reach a certain distance, uh, meaning that you have to be within proximity of your vehicle for these things to work, it's radio frequencies. And if you're if you're smart, if you've got some technical know-how, you can figure out ways to make those radio frequencies work at longer distances. So, what these uh, what these guys did, with, and again, this is not new. This is actually something that's happened multiple times before. In fact, I may may have even mentioned it on the show uh, months ago. But um, what was making it so interesting is these guys were apparently caught on security camera doing it, and it took about 60 seconds, uh, about a minute, for these guys to drive off with this Mercedes vehicle without actually having the key. So what they were able to do is, so let's say you're, you know, you come home from work, you just parked your Mercedes in the driveway, uh, you walk into the house, you throw your keys on the little counter next to the door, and you go about your evening. Uh, well, so those keys are sitting there near your door, back door, near your, wherever you're wherever you walked in and your car is out in the driveway. So that should be too far apart. There should, no one should be able to walk up to your car and open the car door because your, your car keys are not close enough, but these guys have these little radio repeater things. So one guy goes, I guess near, near the house, near where they figure your keys are, uh, wherever that keys are sitting on the little table by the back door. They, they go, one guy goes near that and the other guy goes near the vehicle. And basically these guys, amplify and copy the signals that are coming off that key fob, which is always broadcasting. Um, and, and they amplify it and extend the range so that the guy next to the Mercedes with the other, other box can just open the vehicle. So it looks to the vehicle like the guy is standing right next to it. So these guys basically as a pair, as a team, you know, one box near the house, one box near the car, the guy was able to open up the car, take his box inside because the box is now inside broadcasting the signal. The car could figure that out. Oh, you're sitting in the car. You've got the key. You're a valid driver. I'll let you start the car. These guys started the car, drove it away. Uh, and these guys, so these guys, the the National Insurance Crime Bureau, NC, NICB, not, I've never actually never heard of these guys before, uh, went and tested some of these things, right? So how, how prevalent is this? Well, they tested it on a range of trucks and SUVs and sedans and whatever. They were able to, with these relay units, with these little technological boxes these guys had, because you could buy these things, by the way, for a couple hundred bucks. Um, right now, if you went to the internet and searched around, you could find these things. Um, they were able to open 19 out of 35 cars that they tried this on, that had these wireless, these keyless entry systems. And they were able to drive away, start 18 out of those 19 cars. 
So this is obviously prevalent and we're going <laughs> to, the car industry needs to figure out some way to fix this, but I, I do have a great little tip for you. That you can, you can, uh, you can protect yourself right now. Uh, the way the article put it is you could throw your keys in the refrigerator, which you could do. Uh, but the reason it works by throwing your keys in the refrigerator is because your refrigerator is, generally speaking, a large metal box. Uh, and it's the concept of what we call a Faraday cage. If you've, if you've ever done any science, any especially any radio science, uh, you've heard the name Faraday. Faraday did a lot of groundbreaking work in electromagnetic stuff many years ago. Uh, and basically if you've got some, if you want to block wireless signals, you just kind of need electromagnetic signals. You need to wrap it in a metal screen or a metal box of some sort. Um, and that's what we call a Faraday cage. If you've ever bought like a wallet, uh, or, um, a passport thing that said it was, uh, blocks RFID, RFID signals, it's the same concept. Those little RFID signals are a little chip inside your passport or inside your um, some of your credit cards and things in your wallet that if someone a wireless then queries those things, they respond. So these wallets have a little wire mesh in them to block the signals. So anyway, long story short, uh, if you if you're worried about this as, as being a problem, if you've got an expensive car and you do kind of throw your keys by the back door and you know park in the park your car in the driveway, well, you might want to do this. Uh, get yourself a little box, um, uh, some little box. You can line it with foil. You can line it with uh, wire mesh. Just make sure it's a real wire mesh. Um, I've even heard of like those Mylar, um, uh, potato chip bags be being able to work in some spaces like this, but I wouldn't trust it to that. And obviously that's kind of gross and messy, <laughs> but, uh, you need a little bit of some sort of a wire box or a metal box that you can throw your keys in and that should block the signal. And uh, then you won't have to worry about it until the car makers figure out a better way to do wireless entry on their uh, fancy vehicles. All right. One last little story I want to talk about because it's extremely important. And uh, the time for this is now. And that is fighting to save net neutrality. I know it's been all over the news. I know it's kind of a confusing subject. Uh, I will talk to you a little bit about here again what it is. We've actually had whole shows on this subject. You can go back and search through the archives and find our show on net neutrality um, if you want that full treatment. Um, but basically net neutrality says that all bits are created equal. That is all traffic on the internet should be treated the same. There should be, there should be nobody favored over somebody else. There should be a level playing field. Um, and the Obama administration back in 2014 sought, was, was looking to curb net neutrality. Uh, and, and they had a large outpour of comments from people and corporations saying, this is bad. Don't do this. And they were actually able to change that, that FCC chairman's mind Wheeler. Um, sorry, I forget his first name. Um, and uh, the, that administration actually implemented some rules that, that helped to enshrine net neutrality in law. It gave the FCC the power to make sure that companies like your internet service providers in particular weren't picking winners and losers. They weren't favoring their content at the expense of their competitors content uh, or creating a pay pay for play scenario where, you know, if you pay me enough, I'll make sure that your traffic gets through. But if you don't pay me enough, yeah, you know, hit or miss, maybe it'll work, maybe it won't. Uh, and the problem with that is, you know, it's one thing to say, oh, it's a market economy and, you know, and, and you should be able to let these guys, let the market figure this out. But the, the truth of the matter is, is that the incumbents that are already there, like the Netflixes and the Googles and, and some of these companies that have a lot of deep pockets will be able to pay 
these exorbitant fees potentially to the ISPs to get favorable treatment. But all the startup companies, the new companies that, that should be able to challenge and compete against these other uh, behemoth companies with the deep pockets will never get a chance because they won't have the they won't have the funds to pay for that. So the next Netflix or the next Amazon.com will never get a chance to flourish because the existing companies will pay for faster access and and the other guys just won't be able to keep up. So it's 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 so 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 important that we get out there and make our voices heard on this. So um, I believe the vote is coming down on on December fourteenth. That is not very far away. Uh, so what you need to do is you need to contact all of your representatives. Now, if you go to the EFF, the Electronic Frontier, Frontier Foundation's website, you can find some net neutrality stuff there. Uh, but one that I, that I kind of like that you might want to take a look at is called battleforthenet.com. Uh, they've got uh, their whole site is dedicated to this thing. They've got an, uh, a nice little um, utility there where you can enter enter your location information so it can find out who your representatives are, your House of Representatives person and your two senators will determine who those people are. It will actually help you to call each one of them uh, and either talk to somebody or leave a message where you can say, hey, please don't vote for this. We need to keep net neutrality. Don't change anything. It's good like it is. Don't change it. Um, because frankly, right now, um, this is being railroaded through by the current FCC chairman, Ajit Pai, and the Trump administration uh, so far seems to absolutely support this. So if it goes through, uh, it will not be challenged. Um, we've got to make our voices heard. This is a wildly, wildly unpopular thing that for some reason uh, is being ignored. But we've got to make our voices heard. So net neutrality is a really big deal. Please go support this. Please contact your representatives. You know, Post stuff on social media about this. Get the word out. We've really got to make a stink about this. We've got to stand up. Um, it's It's... We've got to stand up for our rights. We've got to make sure that there's a level playing field out there. Now, if you want a funny uh, way to learn about net neutrality, um, a humorous way, uh, go check out John Oliver uh, on YouTube. Make sure you get the more recent one, not the old one, because he, he did a really funny bit about this back in 2014 when this came up at that time. Um, but you want the more recent one, I think, came out in June of this year. So I've got a link to it in the show notes. Beware, it does have some bad language. So don't go listening to this at work or around young children. Uh, John Oliver is really funny, but he really likes to swear. So be, be aware of that. Um, but it's, you know, it even though it's very humorous, it's still a very good look at why net neutrality is important. It's about 19 minutes long, so it'll take you a little bit of time to watch it. But I highly recommend you do that. If you don't really understand what this is all about, he does a great job of explaining it in a very entertaining way. Okay, and as promised, I've got a very short tip of the week, and it's kind of short because I'm going to probably have to refer you to the show notes to, to get the best explanation of this. It's kind of hard to explain in words uh, vocally. Uh, it's probably easier just to look at an example um, and look at a web page that tells you exactly what you need to do. Um, but I'm going to explain at a high level what you need to do to fix this Apple root bug for good, um, and uh, I'll give you two options here. So normally this root account is disabled by Apple, and I'm not sure if the latest bug, if somehow it was enabled by default, or if it was still disabled, but somehow the, the software that checked if it was disabled was failing and it still let you through, I'm not really sure. But there's 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 the kind of Apple way that you could fix this, and it's a little bit roundabout. Um, uh, again, there's a link in the show notes for this, but if you go to, or if you just Google, uh, or your favorite search engine, DuckDuckGo perhaps, um, if, you, if you look for, search for, um, changing Apple root password. 
uh, you should find the support document from Apple and it'll kind of walk you through. First, you have to enable the root account. Then you can set the root account password to something that you know. So there's some default that it ships with that is usually a disabled. But if you go in yourself and set that to something that you know, this should prevent all these other problems from happening again because you have explicitly set that root password and it should that should keep it from being accepted uh, in these weird cases that we were talking about with this bug. So you'll need to enable the root account. You'll need to change the root account's password. And then I, I would go ahead and disable the root account again. Uh, again, there's an Apple support page that, that talks you how to walk through this and I'll have a link in the show notes or you could search for uh, change Apple root password and you'll see a support document from Apple that, that'll walk you through the process of how to do this. Now, if you want to um, get a little more geeky and you want to take the, the hacker way of doing this, uh, it's actually simpler to do this in my estimation. It's much more straightforward uh, and you need to launch the Apple Apple terminal program. Uh, it's under, if you go in your Apple uh, computer, it's under applications. And then there's a folder in there called utilities. And within there is the, term, the terminal app. So if you double click that and launch the terminal app, you get this, what we call a command line interface. So back in the old days with the computers, there was no graphical interface. There was the mouse and the buttons and the windows. Um, it was text-based. And so you get this, you launch the terminal and you get this prompt, a little text prompt, and it ends with a dollar sign. So it's waiting for you to enter text as your command. Uh, and from there, you can you basically you need to switch to a super user, uh, and and the the command for that is su uh, is sudo space su. I'm not going to walk you through all this because you'll need to look it up. But you switch to super user, and then once you get to once you switch the super user account, then you can change the password for root, and you'll change it change it to something that you that you know that's a good strong password. It's okay to write that password down somewhere as long as you put that password somewhere safe. So you'll probably never use this again, but it's, it's, it's good to know. It'll be good to know what you set this to. So set the, set the root password, uh, put that somewhere safe. Um, and then, uh, log back out of the account and you should be good. And even if Apple keeps messing this stuff up, once you have the password set explicitly to something that, you know, that should prevent this from happening again. So that's your little tip of the week. I know a little bit esoteric. Again, check out the, uh, I'm going to have a blog post on this. I'll have a link to the show in the show notes about it. Check that out. It'll give you step-by-step uh, -step instructions with visuals and everything. But the key there is if you, is, is you need to explicitly set the root password to something that, you know, something that's not whatever this default is. Okay. That wraps up our show for the week. Uh, now be sure to tune in next week. Um, I've got a fun tip of the week next week we're actually going to dedicate the show with the holidays coming up we're going to have a show on the best and the worst cybersecurity and privacy gifts for the season and uh, i'll give you a little teaser up front if you're thinking about getting somebody that dns dna test from 23andme or ancestry.com you might want to hold off on that until next week uh, also be aware i've got uh, a nice interview show coming up shortly as well with doug kramer uh, from Cloudflare, we talk about an interesting project called Project Galileo. So stay tuned for that. That the interview show will drop sometime probably next week, maybe the week after. But tune in next week and we'll have a fun show on some of the best and worst uh, gifts for the season uh, from a cybersecurity and a privacy perspective. You're not going to want to miss that one. Now, if you'd like to take this opportunity to help me to help you and to help others, uh, please go check out patreon.com. Go to p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com and look for Firewalls Don't Stop Dragons there. Uh, it'll tell you what you can do to help me um, and help spread the word to other people as well, because the more people we can get this information out to, the more people that understand these fundamental concepts and how to stay safe, the safer we will all be. 
Uh, so I'd much appreciate if you could check that out. Of course, you can always uh, go to my blog as well on firewallsdon'tstopdragons.com. You can sign up for my weekly newsletter. Uh, and of course, buy the book, Firewalls Don't Stop Dragons. Great Christmas present. You can give that to the people that are getting those brand new computers or those brand new smartphones uh, so that can help them lock them down and keep them safe. And that's going to wrap up another show. So stay safe out there and don't get caught with the drawbridge down. Until next week, take care.